Hello, fellow puzzle enthusiasts. You know what's just as bad as stepping on a Lego? When one of your cardboard jigsaw puzzles has a bent piece and then it doesn't fit quite right. That is why I am excited to tell you about Wongo Puzzles. Each puzzle is a masterpiece cut out of real wood with super cool designs and interesting shapes that will challenge and delight you. And they come with all the pieces, guaranteed. They are 100% wooden puzzles that will last forever. Each piece is hand-drawn, so no two pieces are the same. And you'll discover some fun, whimsy pieces as you work your way through it. They come in a custom wooden box, which is perfect for storage and gifting. And they really are awesome gifts. I'm going to get the animal bundle because I can gift the salamander and the elephant puzzle and then keep the turtle puzzle for myself. What are you waiting for? Go to wongopuzzles.com and pick your puzzle today. Be sure to use the promo code GRUESOME for 10% off your order. This is the most fun you've had with a puzzle guaranteed or your money back. Go to wongopuzzles.com and use the code GRUESOME to get 10% off your order. And get puzzling right now! Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and my BFF Connie and I are about to release an old Patreon episode, Carl Pan's Ram. Yeah, we are supposed to be on vacation this week, but we wanted to give you guys something, anything, just something, you know. And so we thought we would release our longest episode we've ever done. (laughs) It is very long. So if you ever get mad at us for for having episodes too short, this is your time. This is your chance. Yeah, this is it because this is a very long episode. Actually, what got me thinking about this is we recorded our bonus episode and we had talked about how much this case affected us. And I was like, this case is from July of 2021. So it's like almost two years old, but it is. So bear with the editing. I haven't went back and re-listened to it but I'm sure there's some spots where you're gonna be like damn Connie but (laughs) get it together (laughs) what are you doing uh so yeah Carl Pansram here you go (laughs) happy June 31st we're gonna do Carl Pansram and I've had I have not been able to stop thinking about it all week it has made my brain hurt because it's so awful Mm, indeed yeah any trigger warning you could imagine everything Everything. Everything. Yes. If you have a weak stomach, don't listen to this episode. No. If you're a patron, then you probably don't have a weak stomach. So, so Carl Panzram, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I honestly don't even know where to begin. Like, he is without a doubt the most brutal person I have ever researched. If you are a patron, I'm sure he's a household name in any true crime. Like, he is. The epitome of a monster, the epitome of a horrible person. He's done unspeakable acts. Uh, The biggest thing that we're going to discuss throughout this, was he born like this? Is this a nature versus nurture? Is he a product of the juvenile and the adult prison um, systems? This is all very big conversations when it comes to Carl and I have my opinions, Meg has her opinion, so we're going to, like, obviously throw those in throughout this. But 
any of our listeners who listen with their children present, this is 150% not the episode to have them. not. I will disown you. (laughs) Yeah, like it's a no. Um, This is extremely brutal. And like Meg said, every trigger warning you could think of, it's... I think the only the one that perfect storm of true forever. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing we don't get into is like bestiality, but everything. And I else, wouldn't be surprised. I, I would not be surprised. So, um, for my part, uh, my research, I'm gonna reference the book uh, Pansram, a Journal of Murder by Thomas E. Gaddis and James O. Long. I highly recommend this book. Um, Megan had difficulty getting through hers just because like the brutality of it. From the psychology side, the book that I have is like, if you don't know, at the end of his life, he like wrote down a lot of his things. And this book is like 90% in his own words. And it is insane. It is the, a lot of the stuff I'm going to say, like there are times when I have to quote exactly how he says it because you have to get, he is very brutal, very direct. You think it's fake. The way he says things, you think it's fake, but they cross-referenced all of his stories with important events, and they were like, holy shit, like, what he was saying is essentially the truth. He is the most heinous man, I, in my opinion, to ever, like, I don't want to say grace, because that's not the (laughs) word, but to infect the United States of America. To really infect the world. Multiple countries, continents, yeah. Yeah, so let's get into it. Uh, Carl Panzram was born on June 28, 1891, on a small farm in Minnesota. His parents were German immigrants. His dad, John Panzram, he moved to Minnesota from East Prussia to try to make his fortune on the frontier, which at the time, a lot of people did. But by the time John got here, And by here, I mean in America, the idea of making a fortune by homesteading was pretty much gone, and immigrants were only wanted for working in the mines. John moved to Sauk Center, Minnesota, which was a German community to work as a farm laborer. Everything I read about his dad makes me think that he really liked the idea of hard work. He really liked the idea of making a lot of money, but he was looking for the easiest way to do it, and he didn't want to actually put in the work. He wanted the end result. He didn't want the steps that it took to get there. It lacked the willpower. Mm-hmm. He was described as a tall, violent-tempered man who wore a walrus mustache, which instantly, shoop. When he got to the city, he met his future wife. She was another German immigrant, Elizabeth Bolden. Everyone called her Lizzie. The pair moved 200 miles away, bought a farm, and they lived happily ever after. The end. Just kidding. <laughs> Bully were that easy. Lizzie was incredibly religious and apparently had an iron disposition. It made her and John the equivalent of like oil and water. They did not mesh well together. Their marriage struggled. She incorporated her religious her her religion fiercely into every part of their life. He was lazy and a drunk. It was obviously like it wasn't a good situation. The first drought came to their small farm and John is like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. And he would just leave Lizzie to tend the farm by herself while he went to town to like hang out with his friends and daydream with the other settlers because 
now the big idea was you go to Canada to homestead. There's so many opportunities in Canada. But about the time they were ready to make their move and she, he was going to drag Lizzie there, she was pregnant with their first child. Their first son, Paul, was born. Their second son, Albert, quickly followed, followed by a third son, Louis, who was hands down Lizzie's favorite. The more kids they had, the meaner John got, mainly because every time she got pregnant, he had to actually get his ass to work. And I will stand by that because he got he she would have spells with like high blood pressure and she'd get dizzy and he'd actually he'd actually have to get out there and like do the plow and everything. And he wasn't he wasn't having it. So he took a job at a sawmill, but it later burned down. Lizzie became pregnant with the couple's fourth child, a daughter named Louise, which is weird. I think she just yeah. named him after Louis. I was like, don't you have a Louis? Sorry, Louis and Louise. The Pandrans moved Pandrans moved to another farm to help out and save some money. And by 1888, they had saved enough money to buy another small farm on two acres. The family dynamic didn't improve. Finances didn't improve. And once they moved to their farm, John began drinking away all of their money that he had earned at the mill. And they quickly fell behind on their mortgage. The farm was sold at an auction less than a year before Carl was born. She became pregnant with Carl. And this pregnancy was tough on her because she was in her 40s. She was working her ass off on the farm. She had high blood pressure. She's stressed because her husband sucks and he's spending all their money drinking. And they're having huge fights and she has four other kids to raise. And it sounds like the best place to bring in a fifth child. I can't imagine being 40 and having a baby and then also having to do all of that other stuff. Mm -hmm. Like it would have been hard enough. Yep. So during his early years, Carl begged for attention any way he could get it. But his parents just, unless it was negative, he just wasn't getting any. His parents were fighting all the time. His dad was a violent drunk. And a year after he was born, the United States faced its worst financial depression in history up to that point. And according to Carl, he was mean from the moment he was born. He was lying and stealing by the time he was five or six. He would go to school, misbehave, get into trouble, come home, work on the farm. Literally all night, he would go to school, come home, work well into late at night, get up, go back to school. He had no sleep. So he's, you know, he's not learning anything because he's misbehaving. He's falling asleep in class. He was sick all the time because a child has to have sleep. That's not like a literally how they grow. And it's I know like as a parent, like you make jokes like, oh, my God, my kid never sleeps. But he's like five and six, seven, and he's malnourished. He's physically ill all of the time because he's not getting the sleep that he needs. And as you see in any psychology book you're ever going to read about a child who doesn't get attention, if they're not getting any positive attention, what are they going to do? It doesn't matter what kind of attention it is as Mm -hmm. long as it's attention. They're going to start getting it. So by the age of eight, Carl was a full-on alcoholic. He was arrested for being drunk and disorderly when he was eight. Eight. It's crazy. I have an eight-year-old right now. And I... (laughs) Honestly, it would be kind of funny to see him drunk. (laughs) I wouldn't ever see him drunk, but like thinking about it makes me laugh. It would be kind of funny. Yeah. You guys want to play Minecraft? <laughs> hey, 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 dad, hey, dad. <laughs> so like before, I said before, he was sick all of the time. When he was nine, he developed what was called a mastoid tissue. So the mastoid is a temp, if you do, basic human, it's a temporal bone of the skull located behind the ear. 
And his mom barely had money for them to survive because I should add, at this point, John just speculated or just deuced out. So she had barely had any money for them to survive. Like, so she definitely didn't have money to go to the doctor to like have a proper surgery to get this removed. So she did what a lot of homesteaders did. She attempted the surgery herself on their dining room table with no sanitation, no anesthetic. And Carl just had to lay there as his mom tried to remove this while his brothers held him down. He developed a an infection that was so severe he had to be taken to the hospital for a second surgery. And it is believed because what's right beside the ear, your brain, that the infection actually spread to the brain because, yeah, like I said, it's right there. And it affected the hypothalamus, which is the area of the brain that's responsible for anger, fear, aggression. And it's something that in his writings, he even questions like later on, like whether his overwhelming sense of aggression all the time stemmed from this. And I want to read something that he wrote before I pass it off to Meg for the next 10 years of his life, because I think (laughs) it's important for you guys to hear how he felt like people treated him, because this sets the tone and his mindset for literally the rest of his life. So when he was describing his life on the farm, he said, my portion of pay consisted of plenty of work and a sound beating every time I looked cockeyed or done anything that anyone who was older and stronger and able to catch me and kick me around whenever they felt like it. And it seemed to me and still does now that everything was always right for the one who was the strongest and everything else, every single thing I'd done was wrong. Everybody said so anyways, but right or wrong, I used to get plenty of abuse. Everybody thought it was all right to deceive me, lie to me, and kick me around whenever they felt like it, and they felt like it pretty regular. That is the way my life was lived until I was about 11 years old. And actually, it got worse for him. Mm -hmm. So, and this is where, when Connie said we're going to talk about, he obviously had abuse in his house, but then he goes into the justice system, and it is horrific. So in 1902... Carl went to the Minnesota State Reform School. And there were about 300 boys in this school. They were 10 to 20. They were just at the mercy of the people running this place. No standards that they were held to, right? And at the time, this reform school was as close to like juvenile prison as you got. There wasn't, there wasn't juvie yet. Uh, it was built on Christian principles, but like the kind of Christian that believes in flogging, where you whip yourself as penance to share in Jesus's suffering and he was 11 when this happened Uh, as soon as Carl got to the school the warden who made everyone call him father started asking him very intimate questions had he ever masturbated had he been involved in sodomy committed fornication but at the time Carl really didn't even know what that fully meant Mm -mm. That same day he got there, he was forced to undress from the waist down, and the warden examined his genitals and rectum for signs of sin, as he put it, Uh, and he began to describe what homosexuals might want to do to him. But then he didn't stop at just describing. Within a few hours of being at the facility, Carl was already sexually assaulted. And that wouldn't be the last of his abuse. By a long shot. No. Uh, uh -uh. The next day... The very next day, he was retrieved from his barren room by two guards who took him into a small wooden building, which was affectionately dubbed the painting room. But I did read it 
in a couple of different places as the painting room or the paint shop or the painting mm-hmm. house. Um, I'm going to call it the painting room. That's what he called it his, uh, like yeah. in his journal. I think room. that that's was the most. Yes, I agree. Um, it was called that. Sorry. <laughs> it was called that because that's where they took these boys to be beaten until they were black and blue. They were painted with their bruises. Um, new arrivals were normally sent there just to, you know, beat the bad behavior out of them, show them what would happen. They stepped in line, stepped in line, stepped out of line. <laughs> I know Sorry, I'm laughing because it makes me so sad. Uh, in the painting room, Carl's clothes were removed and he was chained to a bench. He had a salt water soaked towel laid over his back and he was thrashed with a leather belt. And this belt had holes drilled into it so that when it hit the children, skin would be pulled into those little holes and it would cause them to blister. And when the belt came down over and over, those blisters, would be, they would be torn open and the towel on his back was there to literally rub salt into the wounds. As Father Warden, as I kept calling him in my brain, watched Carl being lashed, Carl could see that he was enjoying every minute of it. So he stopped crying out. He just stopped showing any emotion. What was meant to you know, beat out his bad behavior, it only helped turn him into more of a monster. Uh, after he was beaten in the mornings, he would get dressed and go to classes. And by classes, I mean they just recited from the Bible and repeated various moral commandments. Uh, after class, Carl would go to the kitchen to work because the school determined that he had no other skills, so he would cook. Which was a big mistake on their part. Big mistake. Ugh, so gross. Because Carl was like, sweet to my opportunity to get back at my abusers. And he would pee and masturbate into their food every day. It's like you don't piss with people who cook your food. Right? And there was a guard on duty, but all he was doing was making sure that no one stole any knives. So no one even really noticed that he was doing it. Which, like, how long? (laughs) <laughs> just eat <laughs> pee and semen laced gruel. Um, Carl wasn't really into the whole religious path thing, so he mostly ignored his quote unquote teachers, uh, which caused him to go to the painting room regularly. And he was stoic because he didn't want these men and boys to think that they could get to him, but it made him a target. Like his, the jailers and the warden wanted to break him so badly that the warden had a paddling machine built just automated child abuse but carl was unfazed (laughs) the padding padding the paddling machine was actually less effective because it wasn't a human one with emotion behind the abuse and it wasn't as bad for carl or any of the other boys because the machine couldn't target areas that were already not healed or trying to hit the same place over and over and the warden blamed Carl personally for the failure of his machine and took it as an opportunity to become the sole perpetrator of Carl's sexual abuse and humiliation at 11 still, right? So he's still a little kid. Uh, one evening while he's on kitchen duty, Carl attempted murder for the very first time. He slipped a hefty dose of rat poison into the coffee. The warden didn't normally sit at dinner with everyone. He normally ate with his wife, but one night he was just sitting with the guards. Um, his Carl's bodily fluids had gone unnoticed by the guard. What's rat poison, right? 
But of course, that night, the guard saw the rat poison, stopped the poppy from being served. He was reported, and they shifted him to cleaning duty. They wanted, they wanted to punish him, but they were already doing the most torturous, horrific things that they could think to do. And this boy just refused to be broken. He was just getting angrier and angrier and just keeping it all inside of his tiny little body. But he began to take that rage out on the other boys in the school. He would beat the crap out of the other students. Just older, younger, he would beat them almost to death. He would just take his punishment and he wouldn't even flinch. The warden remained convinced that Carl was fundamentally evil. And he again upped the punishments that he was receiving. Every hour that he was supposed to be cleaning, he was being tortured. And after they were done with him, he would clean late into the night. They kind of hoped that it would exhaust him. But as Connie said, he had already done that. He had already existed working all night and going to school constantly. But what they did give him were chemicals to clean with that made pretty good, you know, pretty good tools for starting a fire. So he burned down the painting room. Mm -hmm. And this would be the first of many, 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 many arsons in his life. Yeah. Definitely got off on burning things down. Um, which honestly, like, I would have burned down the painting room too. You know? And this is like where we have said it so many times that, oh, you can like feel bad for the kid. You don't have to feel bad for what happened as they were an adult. But what happened to him as a child is the reason he was the way he was as an adult. Yeah, from the... It it really was the perfect storm. It was just, you know, he mm-hmm. was abused at home. Then he goes to the school and he's abused even worse. And then he it just goes. It's like he has hill. this mindset of if you're bigger and meaner, you can do whatever you want. You can take what you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He burned down that torture chamber and all the weapons that were in it. And everyone knew it was him, but no one could prove it. Um, and the other boys who were afraid of him now respected him some of the other students the older ones started to teach him here's how you can get paroled and he became a model student within the month the warden signed the parole papers that sent him back out into the world which was crazy how quickly he learns too like all he needed was one good person in his life to show him anything any kindness as a kid Mm-hmm. that's For all he needed period of time yeah that's all he needed and I'm, I'm not gonna say he wasn't a train wreck i'm not saying like he wasn't you know born with you know some issues i'm sure the whole inspection of <laughs> but i think he had no stability he had no love it's a drinking just problem as a, a child dr- yeah like what brings a child to drink like Oh, that's right, because he sees his dad being a huge asshole and drunk all the time. And he's like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. Carl, he was 13 when he left. So that it's crazy that that whole situation lasted for two years. And then he learned and was out within a month. His mom picked him up in 1904. She put him back to work on the farm because it was only him and his mother left. He had another brother that had been helping to tend to it, but that brother had drowned in the pond a few weeks before Carl Carl returned. It was Lewis, her favorite son. And she fell into a depression. She could not get out of bed. She could do nothing. The fields became overgrown. The the crops rotted. (laughs) 
The animals were starving to death, but Carl was glad because he hated the farm. He did whatever he could to ensure that the farm died so that he could be free. And he started drinking again. He would steal whatever money he found that his mom had and he would go buy alcohol. And when she didn't have any money, he started to mug people for their pocket change, all of his old classmates, so that he could go and buy booze. He got in, he fell in with another boy in town and together they started to rob adult men, like 13-year-olds. <laughs> he would take them hostage and strip them down and send them running into town. And they weren't ever caught because no adult man was going to be like, yeah, I got robbed by kids. Yeah, two teenagers made me strip down to nothing and took my money. Um, but his mom cornered him one night before he escaped to terrorize everyone and demanded to know what he wanted to do with his life. And Carl was like, I want to be a priest. His mom was like, what? Okay. So she immediately wrote a letter to the local seminary. She begged them to allow him to attend and to also cover the cost of anything he might need. And he was welcomed within a week. He was at seminary studying. He was very smart. He could ask probing questions about life and religion. He was very well liked when he first got there. There was one priest, one Lutheran, German Lutheran priest, that's what it said, that saw through Carl's facade. And he made it his mission to reveal Carl's true nature, right? And for a while it was fine, but eventually religious debates turned into screaming matches. The lack of discipline Carl showed was the opportunity that the priest had been waiting for. And that was the opportunity to administer corporal punishment. He began beating him daily, which this isn't, like, that's not common at seminary. Like maybe in the reform school, but if you're, I don't know, it seemed awful to me too. Still, Carl was still robbing people. And was it Luther at cemetery? Could like cemetery? Seminary. Seminary. Sorry, <laughs> cemeteries. They didn't say he just said that this specific priest that had, I would assume so, especially in like a German, like, so I know in like Catholic back then, like Catholics, I would say, okay, yeah, like nuns are going to smack you. You're going to get, you know, your hail bear. You know, I should have looked more into the, the church that he was. I would assume it was that because his mom was such an avid lutheran yeah so i would assume and it says it was. like this was a german german lutheran and they were yeah, in a german I would, settlement i would assume, right yeah like i would i would now please anyone correct me if i'm wrong i didn't i don't think priests from other religions like intermingle in one seminary i don't think that's how that works you know, that might be better for them honestly <laughs> like i don't know if that's how that works clearly megan and i are not in seminary <laughs> we're not in seminary uh, so, but even still, like while he was going to, you know, become a priest, he was still robbing people for booze money. He was sneaking into people's unlocked houses during the day. He had to strength of communion. Right. <laughs> At the blood. Um, he stole a revolver from a farm and kept it on him because he loved the power came with the revolver. But during one of his routine beatings, the revolver fell onto the floor. Without hesitation, Carl picked it up and pulled the trigger, but it jammed, misfired. Uh, so the priest survived. The gun hadn't really been properly maintained. It had been in a box in a farmer's house, and then he had just been holding it in his pocket. <laughs> that would be me if anyone like ever came in and I had to use my gun. I'd be like, 
Oh no, what happened? I can't pull the trigger. Father Musgrave would be so disappointed. <laughs> he would truly be disappointed in you. That sounds like a real priest name. It probably he is. <laughs> Father Musgrave. He's my dad for the record. <laughs> the priest was like, we don't need to get police involved. Probably because then he would have to explain why he was beating Why he was beating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, he just really made me mad. This 14-year-old really bugged me. Your 13-year-old, however old he was right here. I think he was almost 14. Um, so the school just took his gun and told him to find work somewhere else. Get out of here, kid. Take your stuff. Shoo. His mother told him that he was going to have to work the farm again. So when he was 14, he packed his stuff and hopped a train to anywhere else. And it continues to get worse for, for Carl. But you'd think, you know, he's like sexually assaulted at school and then he gets the shit Is beat out of him by a priest. Was it as crazy to you as it was for me? Even like I've known about him. I've researched him like you know, way before we did this episode. Stuff keeps happening to him. And how long he committed so many like heinous acts, but how long it took him to actually murder someone. Yeah. Yes. Like I would, I mean, obviously he was willing to do it at 14 years old. You know, he like was gonna, but that was his abuser. It wasn't just like, he wasn't taking it out on people. Mm -mm. Um, That comes after this part. (laughs) (laughs) So he hopped a train and the first This is a huge trigger warning, by the way. Yeah. This is it's graphic. Yes. The first trains he rode were fine. Transient people mostly keep to themselves. And they have like laws, right? So you don't steal from each other. Yeah. Um, but one night Carl got into a car with four other homeless men and started out casual conversation, but it didn't take long for those four men to turn on him. They attacked Carl. They ripped off his clothes, and each man took their turn raping him. He tried to fight them off with everything he had, but by the end of the assault, he could barely move. The men threw him and all of his stuff out of a moving train. And the next morning, he woke up. He woke. He woke up in horrible pain, lying on the side of the tracks. And this was. The first moment that Carl was like, I'm not going to be the one being raped anymore. This is where that you have to be the strongest and that's how you get what you want started Mm -hmm. to play. He decided he was going to be the one to dominate people. He would be the one to turn on someone before they could get the chance to turn on him. Because I think up until that point, this is why it's like such a huge turning point is up until that point, the people who had abused him were people of power and like in schools. and Yeah. He had not come across that because we should add, like, he is not a small boy. Yeah. Like, he's not small. I mean, when he, his full grown size, like, he's over six foot and, like, over 200 pounds. Like, yeah. I think it's not like like 290. He's, like, muscle. Like, he is the scariest man. Like, he looks like what your nightmares are made of. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think up until that point, it was people in power. And he's like, okay, you're using this because you're in power and that's your thing. And then it happens like on a level playing field. Like it's like, okay, this is, yeah, this, like, this is just what people do. This, this is, is how, how they are. This is how they are. And I'm going to, that's not going to happen to me anymore. Like I'm going to be this person. Yeah. And that's like, when it switched. That's when it, like yeah. a switch. And he, like I said, he's only 14 and he's alone in a world where, you know, people 
they still do. They prey on children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was raped again before he had even healed from that first train car attack. And then again, the next time he thought he made a transient friend, there was a big meeting of, you know, homeless, unhoused people. And he was talking to another boy. They were drinking whiskey. And the boy essentially had talked him into having like a consensual sexual encounter in a barn that was nearby. But when they got to the barn, several men came out and surrounded Carl and they gang raped him. He passed out and woke up in a tent with his stuff tucked under him. Carl thought that if this many men are so desperate to sodomize little boys, it's probably awesome. And so Carl Panzram began to rape and humiliate other people. When he was traveling, he depended on stealing to feed himself and keep himself drunk. It was only a matter of time before he was arrested. He ended up getting sent to another reform school, and he had to do hard labor on the farm there. But he was great at it because he had done it. He'd done this work in his sleep. He was immune to any of the punishments he had received because he'd already experienced so much worse mm-hmm. in his life. He excelled in their school program. He worked hard and long hours. If the school leaders were impressed with Carl, the students were terrified of him because Carl was raping them at night. But he also made his first real friend, Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy. (laughs) After getting in trouble at school for beating a guard over the head with a wooden plank, he and Jimmy formulated an escape plan. In 1907, they left the school and went on a spree of robbing churches of their tithings before they would burn them to the ground. And this would prove to be one of Carl's favorite crimes. He loved burning churches down. He and Jimmy had stolen... I have no idea why. (laughs) It's so strange, right? Couldn't have been all the fathers involved in his life. Uh, Not really, figuratively. He and Jimmy stole hundreds of dollars, and they had guns that they had stolen from people's houses that they were drifting through, and they were free for four months before Jimmy got picked up trying to sell candlesticks that he had pocketed from one of the burned-down churches. He was already on his way to an adult prison before Carl even realized that he had been arrested. So now he was alone again. Carl hoboed his way across state lines until the money dried up, and that was when he decided to join the army. Um, there were recruiting stations everywhere. Uh, this was the the Indian Wars, right? I, that's not the right word for it. It's the Indian, the unjustified. Yeah, it was Indian Wars. American also, Indian the Mexican wars. border wars were going on too. They were, yeah, it was a real fun time. Glad I was born in this lifetime. <laughs> just yeah um yeah but because there were all these wars there were recruiting stations everywhere carl's a beefy dude you know even if he's a kid so he went to one still drunk lied about his age got signed up and he was in boot camp before he had even sobered up can you imagine <laughs> you're just like what am i doing? wait oh no but he was strong and he worked hard he was good with weapons he could not deal with authority though just the whole premise of the military, right? He's like the last person that should ever be in the military. Yeah. But some of the higher-ups were like, no, we can mold this kid into a leader. We can make him We can make him better. But the rest are like, this guy has no respect for the chain of command. And money, when you got enlisted, it came really slowly. Nobody had direct deposit. <laughs> That's true. And he couldn't buy his own booze because he was out of money. Couldn't rape anyone because the barracks were intensely monitored. 
So he had no money. He had no liquor. He had no sex. He was frustrated. Uh, about a week after training began, Carl filled a sack full of army uniforms and s- tried to sneak off a of base so he could sell them. And uh, he got busted. Like, of course. I like that also, for as many times as he commits crime, he gets arrested. Like, yeah. He is... If he gets away with stuff, it is pure luck. It is not yeah. because he is He's good at like committing the, crimes. The world's worst, like, least sneaky criminal. <laughs> and I think part of it is because he doesn't care. He yeah. did not care. He's just like, what can they do to me? I've already had terrible things. Um, and sneaking off base wouldn't have been a big deal, but stealing uniforms is treason. No one had attempted anything like this before in the Army. So they had to go up the chain of command all the way to William Howard Taft, who was the Secretary of War for Teddy Roosevelt. Like, what should we do to this kid? Taft was like, let's make an example of him. He was dishonorably discharged and given the maximum sentence for, you know, stealing uniforms. It was only two years, but he went to the toughest prison in the time, at that time in America, Fort Leavenworth. He waited months in the brig before he could even get sent off there. And he was 16 when he ended up in Fort Leavenworth. He was shackled into a cattle car with other military prisoners, and he was given no food or water for the thousand-mile trip to Kansas. And the prison was tougher, you know, it was tougher than where he had been. The men were vicious. If one prisoner failed to follow orders here, the entire company was punished. Carl's tendency to piss off anyone with any authority made him a lot of enemies. Inmates would regularly beat him or rape him, but Carl would fight back, hard and vicious. If he didn't, he was stoic and just took their assaults with no emotion. And eventually the other prisoners started to give him space because his fights with the other inmates were violent. But if any guard tried to tell him to do anything, Carl became brutal. Like, it was nothing compared to fighting other inmates. and. There was no saving Carl from the guards either. Every day he was placed into a straitjacket until he lost consciousness. And the inmates loved how intense he was. Like, they loved that he would beat the shit out of these guards. So they started protecting him. They would, like, close in on him and cheer him on if he was fighting them. Prison camaraderie. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right, exactly. Every day in Fort Leavenworth, Carl was hooked to a 50-pound ball and chain that he had to carry while he marched down to the rock quarry where he would work for nine hours and then march back. This was supposed to be punishment. Again, it just made Carl stronger. They're literally just giving him, like, this intense workout regimen. I I was like, you're taking a man, a monster, an insane beast who is already beating the shit out of all of you guys. Before breakfast, and you're like, you know what? We're gonna make you level up. We're gonna give you this. <laughs> we're gonna give you no food, and we're just gonna like pump you up as hard as you can go. Do you remember the kids in school, or like the videos of the kids, and like any of our listeners, the ones who would get mad and start like hitting themselves and like, like punch themselves in the head, or, or like headbutt a locker? Yes, I remember there was a kid. Uh, uh, he came out of the, I don't. I don't know if you ever. He came out of the library and punched through the library window, and like, Dude, there were, yes, and it shattered. It shattered, and he there's like blood everywhere, and he's just like full of rage. These are those type of people. <laughs> this and is they didn't even have the type of upbringing like this guy had. You are just giving him like you're just shutting off any emotion that like 
there's nothing like once you and honestly it really is you break that person but you break them to the point that you don't want them broken because then there's nothing yeah and that's exactly what happened because he starts coming after you mm -hmm. and so he started finding anyone who had messed with him when he got there he started raping them Uh, and it got to the point where carl was so tough and strong that the guards could literally break their batons over him and he wouldn't even flinch like that's terrifying Mm -hmm. we usually (laughs) don't do this for like our patreon episodes but i think we should for one to tell everybody what they're missing out on because this is such a insane case but you have if you've never seen him, you have to see pictures of him to appreciate the sheer size of this man. The terror that you would feel. He is a fucking unit. Like <laughs> an absolute fucking unit. Yeah, like uh. it is. And they made him stronger. So you take this man who you have destroyed to where there is any human emotion other than anger rage revenge you know self-satisfaction that's all he has yep in 1908 he tried to escape but he was caught so he burned down one of the prison workshops he did a hundred thousand dollars in damage in 1908 it's like a million jillion dollars now I didn't actually look up the comparisons, but I know it's over a million dollars. Carl Panzeram wrote in his journal that when he left Fort Leavenworth, he was the spirit of meanness personified. All of the good that might have been left was kicked and beaten out of him. He was 19 in 1910, and he had spent most of his young life in prison and reform schools. Years of torture had ruined any chance he might have had at being an actual functional adult and in the few years after leaving the prison he just drifted through the south and southwest he took on the alias jeff baldwin he was arrested for vagrancy burglary arson robbery he escaped from every single jail he would burn anything down that he got close to he would rob every single house he could and he would just murder farmers animals Mm -hmm. he hopped on another train and headed northwest towards Washington, Idaho, Oregon, Utah, raped anyone in his path. He said, whenever I met anyone that wasn't too rusty looking, I would make him raise his hands and drop his pants. I wasn't very particular. I rolled them. I rode them old and young, tall and short, white and black. It made no difference to me at all, except that they were human beings. I'm going to tag in on that. Are you scary? After are you? Uh, I have this little ch- little piece here. So in 1911, he had a new alias, Jefferson Davis. He also had a first class case of gonorrhea that he had got from weight raping a woman in Colorado. And normally he didn't rape women. For the record. Um, he traveled while he was taking medicine to dry it up. But before his infection was gone, he was arrested in Fresno, California, for stealing a bicycle. He was sent to county for six months. He escaped after 30 days, jumped into a train car that had two other young men on it. And while he was preparing to rob and rape them, a railroad cop found them. The railroad cop was like, you guys better pay up or I'm going to arrest you. 
So Carl took the cop's watch and his money. He raped the officer at gunpoint, and then he made the other two guys rape the officer. And then he threw them all off of the train. And then he went up to find work in the logging industry. <laughs> so, fun fact, before he went to Oregon, he frolicked through Mexico. Oh, right, because he was down in the South and Southwest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he had gotten the quote that he says about women is actually like, it's kind of funny. Actually, hold on. I have to read it exactly because I had it highlighted in my book. So he says, um, in Denver, they had a red light district and he was like raining terror on this red light district. And he said, about a week later, I found that my collection also included a fine first class case of gonorrhea. I began to suspect that the ladies were very good things to leave alone. I have followed that policy pretty closely ever since. Once in a while since then, one would get her claws in me, but not while I was sober or in the daytime where I could see him first. He was like, it's going to be a no for me, dog. <laughs> Which uh, is ironic that the first time he has like sex with a woman, he gets gonorrhea. Like, worst luck in the world. Mm -hmm. And also at the same time, like good. some of the best luck which mm -hmm. is, wasn't good for anyone else but him but so yeah. like while he was doing his travels like he heard like mexico was the place to go because of the mexican border war he thought that his exact words were mexican soldiers would be easier to rob than the large union workers and railroad workers that he had been struggling with the past few months so he leaves to the south he thought he could get to mexico and rob their churches because he heard they were full of gold and silver so he did what he does. He hopped his way to Mexico on trains with some money that he acquired, two pistols, and according to him, what he called his fat, rosy-cheeked little boy, which it's disgusting. Yeah, like, it is disgusting. That's disgusting. They made it down to Jacksonville, Texas. They got arrested. The cops took his guns. He said, like, oh, but they left me my boy. They were some Angelinas, right? Yep. That was little boy. They were sent to the county road chain gang and... They, like, strapped a chain to him, and they were making him work. The person in charge, his name was Mr. Tate. And when he when they got to this area, Mr. Tate took his little boy away from him and made him sleep in his tent to protect him. And I say that very... Yeah, protect, protect him. So there were two men there, Mr. Tate and this other, like, worker that he had... Um, he describes his names, but he didn't know them. And he's like, Wolf Pack, Wolf Creek, something like that. Um, they got into an argument. Mr. Tate fired the other guy. So the county officials come in. And when they get there, they're like, why is this little boy sleeping in your tent? So they ship him back to, like, the prisoner tent where Carl was. The boy was sexually assaulted by these two Christian, God-fearing family men. So that further drives that point into Carl that, this is what everybody's doing. And honestly, in Carl's life, it's true. That it is what been everyone's everything. doing. So he tried. He was supposed to work for 40 days. He worked his 40 days. He was like, hey, can I leave? He was like the response to it was he got the shit beat out of him and he had to stay even longer. So 20 days later, he asked the same question. Again, he was met with being beat, tried to escape one more time, was finally successful. So he walks, he gets on this train and goes to Houston. When he gets there, and like, this is like what I was saying. They have like confirmed these events with like natural, like, you know, events in history. He gets to Houston when Houston's burning down. And this is something like you can look it up. It happened. 
he's walking through. He's this huge man. He's like over six feet. And like he's, you know, in his early 20s at this point, I think he's 20. He's walking through and people are asking him, can you help me get, can you help me? Can you help me? I have this in there. And he's like, oh yeah, for sure. Then he would just steal it. And he's like, thanks, bro. Yeah, thank you. And he said that like, he used that money. He wore the clothes for months that he stole and kept him going to El El Paso. And like, what do you do? Like as a normal like size person at this big man, (laughs) like, hey, can you please help me? And he's like, oh yeah, absolutely. And then he comes back. He's like, Thanks. These are mine now. Yeah. These are mine. Like you're you're just like, okay. Well, uh, I can get new stuff. That's fine. So he did make it to Mexico. He tried to join the Mexican army and they were like, no. Hell no. Nah. You can't. So he meets and the way he refers to this man, like I'm not even gonna say because it's so degrading, but he meets a man who is of Native American descent and they're like hanging out, talking on the train. This other guy gets on the train. And this other guy's like, yeah, there's a railroad camp up here. That's where I'm staying. Yeah, I got this $35. We've been working. So the two men go, hey, you should walk with us. And they get him off the train. They drag him about a quarter mile off the road. Carl ties him up. At this point, he doesn't rape him. They rob him. And then the guy that was with him was like, hey, are you sure you tied him up? He's like, yeah, I'm sure I tied him up. But they go back. And sure enough, like the guy is, you know, getting undone. So his friend, I don't want to say friend, his companion at the time ties him back up. And this is when he's like, okay, I'm going. And he refers, he says he's like, he'll say, I, I did a little sodomy or he will say, I rode them around, which just makes my skin crawl. So gross. So the act itself, like whatever, but the way he, if it's gross. The way so. he describes it, it's like going to the grocery store. Yeah, it's awful. And he said, like, they tied him up. He was like, hey, do you want to, literally the words were, do you want to ride him? Do you want to ride him around? And the guy was like, no. And he assumed that the reason why this man didn't want to partake in this rape was because he wasn't civilized to American culture yet. He's like, he doesn't know that that's like how things are. <laughs> it's just life. He didn't want to partake in it. Literally didn't want to partake. So they just left him there. And he's like, he's still there unless the buzzards and coyotes got him. But when he did get to Mexico, so like he crosses the border um, at the Del Rio, gets into Mexico again. He joins like this foreign legion of the Constitutional Army of Northern Mexico. But all of the churches had already been robbed at this point. So he gets there and he's like, what the fuck? All they have are beans and peppers. And I don't like beans and peppers. So he just left, stole a horse and stole everything that wasn't tied down. So this is like what Megan was saying he makes his way back to the northwest and he is if he didn't have a building to burn down an animal to kill he would shoot out windows of the farm he burnt prairies down he (laughs) god forbid Carl Panzram get bored at any point yeah every morning I grind up whole bean coffee and make a french press because I find that I get a better tasting cup And when Laird Superfood asked us to give an honest testimony of their coffee, I was ready to let the coffee snob in me rage. But I was pleasantly surprised. Their whole bean Peruvian medium roast coffee was really good. It was smooth and rich. You could tell that it was slow roasted. And then I got to try the Peruvian with extracts of functional mushrooms. And I was a little bit nervous. I had heard about the benefits of mushrooms like cordyceps and lion's mane and chaga but I was afraid of the taste. 
and layered superfood proved me wrong again. Not only was it delicious, but I did feel more alert and focused and less anxious than I normally do after drinking a cup or three. It was just an added bonus that all layered products are sustainably sourced and thoroughly tested to ensure that you're incorporating the cleanest, finest fuel into your routine. I appreciate their all-natural whole food ingredients with honest and transparent labeling. If you appreciate a good cup of coffee, I think you will too. Are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com slash gruesome and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code gruesome at checkout to save 15% off your purchase today. So like Megan said, he had been arrested. He stole this bike. He was there for 30 days. He makes his way to Oregon. This is, he gets arrested so many times coming up. It's and it's insane. I mean, he is using aliases. Though, he is using aliases. Time. He has like tons of them almost every time. And like once he thinks like people start to like catch on, like he'll use a different alias. Yeah. And they I mean, this wasn't a time when police or jails even spoke to each other. You know, Mm-mm. it's not like they could just call one up and be like, hey, no, we weren't there yet. He got arrested in Oregon pretty soon after he got there for highway robbery, assault, and sodomy, and he gave his new name, Jack Allen. Um, He was in jail in Oregon for about two months before he escaped. He had a cellmate there by the name of Cal Jordan that blew safes, like he would blow up safes. He He kept wanting Cal to teach him how to blow safes, but Cal got transferred before he could. He had taught he did teach him how to break out of this prison, though. So Cal got moved to Idaho. Um, Carl escapes. Once he gets out, he's like, I'm going to go to Idaho. I'm going to get Cal out because I want him to teach me how to blow safes. But as soon as he got there, he got immediately got arrested for burglary. He spent 30 days in the same jail. But at this point, Cal is thinking he came all the way here for me. He this loves me. me. And he was in his 50s. Cal was in his 50s. Carl, some 20 something year old man yeah and so they get into this prison and he tries to like have a sex like a mutual sexual relationship doesn't he try to kiss him yeah (laughs) yeah and he said that he like we said that's how he refers to it as like writing him that carl tried to ride him but carl quote wasn't built to be rode around so i rode cal around (laughs) <laughs> it's so blasé how he says it yeah. just so oh. following this he has several months of escaping jails just to get arrested again he makes it to montana where he gets arrested for burglary and when he got to prison found his old friend jimmy and he stayed at this prison he didn't try to he was there for about eight months because he had familiar he had, you know he had someone familiar there a week later after he escaped he was arrested again got sent back to that prison for another year. At the prison, he said that he had committed so many acts of sodomy that he didn't have time to serve Jesus like he was taught in the reform school. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know why that's so funny to me, but he was just so, he is so, it's like dry. Just like I can try. The way I hear him talk in my head is just like. Yeah, absolutely. No tone. He was only out a week again before he got arrested again. So then he gets out. He escapes. He's escaping all of these jails. And that's what's in, like, fucking insane. 
So he makes his way to San Francisco because he was trying to get money for a sailor's passport so he could just like kind of cruise around. But he got arrested again for trying to peddle a silver watch. Silver watch. Only this time he didn't get a slap on the wrist. He was getting like 30 days, couple months. But they came to him with a plea deal. They were like, if you show us where the other stuff is that you stole, we'll take it easy on you. So he did. And they were like, yeah, no. And they sentenced him to seven years. So at this point, his name is now Jeff Baldwin Jefferson. (laughs) And he was sentenced to seven years. So he gets to this prison, pissed off that they lied to him, gets immediately out of his cell plugs the locks of all of the other cells, and then proceeded to have a one-man riot. He broke radiators, steam pipes, smashed the wiring. He broke the stove. He smashed dishes. He piled the food, blankets, etc. Anything that he could set on fire, and he set it on fire. The guards finally got back there to put it out. They beat him before putting him back in his cell. He tried to claim insanity, but the doctor was like, no, you're perfectly sane. You are crazy, but you're not that insane. (laughs) He swore to everyone, looked at all those guards. He said, I will never serve these seven years. And he was right. He wouldn't. He was transferred to the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. The conditions of this prison were awful. It's like you have Leavenworth and everything that happened to him there. And then he gets brought to this place. And it's like. I think it's the nail in the coffin for him. As if there wasn't already nails in yeah, the coffin. Yeah, like this is, the conditions of the prison were awful. It was overcrowded. You couldn't speak. Silence was enforced. If you talked, you got beat. Harry Mitzo was the warden, and he was the worst. It was so bad there. The prisoners were in such, like, a disarray that the warden hired a bunch of old, like, old-timey, when did-it-my-way guards including one who would hoist prisoners up and beat them with a cat of nine tails for anything that he wanted. The prisoners ate meals that were literally carbs and starches. So on the outside, they looked like they were healthy because they were chubby, but they were constantly sick. There was no nutritional value. Their teeth were falling out. They couldn't get glasses. It was crazy. He, Carl eventually met a friend named Otto, who he called um, a dull Hoosier. And I was like, ah. Thanks, thanks. Hey. <laughs> um, they plotted together. They were going to escape. Otto did escape. And during the, when the warden came after him, he shot the warden, killed him. Otto was, while he was hiding out and they found him, he was also murdered, apparently by a prison guard who just a week before that had murdered a different prisoner in a different jail. So it's like they have the top notch, like... <laughs> Really quality, quality yeah. people in these, the top in these jails. No standards, no requirements. And just like if, if this were any more like the worst movie you've ever watched, in comes John Mento. He's the shittier brother of Harry. He came in, he swore to make Carl's life miserable, and he did. So just like every other situation in his life, Carl caused even more trouble. He stole... In one point, he stole all the lemon extract from the kitchen and got the inmates drunk, which I did not know you could do that. <laughs> okay. I did know you could do that. <laughs> I, I didn't know she personally done it, but... I didn't know that was a thing, but he got him all drunk. And, like, while he did that, he burned, 
like they were being drunk and belligerent and like causing trouble so the guards were dealing with that and like trying to calm them down he burned another prison shop down he said it was another hundred thousand dollar check to his balance that he had good for him for the record not to cut you off but you can make your own extract with vodka and that's what it is it's just alcohol like spirits and then like lemon rinds or lemon extract or like vanilla beans like you scrape them into the vodka and the longer they sit the more powerful they are so all this jr watkins i got downstairs if i ever yeah, you could dry. just you could just make it um yeah i'm not there's that your desperate. little martha stewart moment in this you're <laughs> <laughs> not just learning about murders here <laughs> His idea was that he would cause enough commotion that he would be able to escape. This is a 10-foot wall with eight rings of barbed wire on top of it. But he was like, I can do this. But it didn't work. He was caught. He was put into isolation for 60 days. He only had bread and water to eat. The warden built a prison inside of the prison. He called it the bullpen. The conditions were awful. If it rained, they were soaked. If it was cold, they froze. And it was for the worst of the worst. And guess First person in there was Carl. Carl went to the warden because he, you know, he is a master at playing the game. So he wanted to go work at the mill because that was one of the only jobs in the prison where prisoners could earn actual money. But with good reason, the warden was like, no, you cannot. No, you burned down a whole workshop. (laughs) So then he just set the mill on fire and he burned it down. Yep. Right on par, right? Yeah. (laughs) How could he get there? How did he get to the mill? just so like no and so, so this is on the prison grounds okay i guess when i pictured the bullpen i pictured him not being able to leave that area but if he no, was able was, to yeah i think as time went on he had a little bit more privileges so that's fair i'm not sure um when the guards found a hacksaw in his cell <laughs> because he was going to cut the bars and get the fuck out of there they stripped him and two other inmates naked. They chained him to a cell, like cell bars, and they sprayed them with cold water from a fire hose until they were black and blue. And then they left them there. They put them back in their cell a few hours later. They were still soaked. The clothes they were given were soaked and they were just made to sit there. The governor eventually heard about this and he was like, no. You cannot treat these prisoners like that. So Mentos was forced to resign. After he resigned, he did a whole interview about the monster that was Jeff Baldwin. The man who was, quote, lawless, unruly, revengeful, and treacherous. I mean, he's not wrong. No, you can read not. the whole thing in the, the Panzeram papers. It's it, What he said was true. The new warden was Charles Murphy. And he was a complete 180 from the last two. So naturally, Carl was very skeptical of him. He didn't believe anything that he had to say, but he was a man of honor. He pushed for reform. He stopped punishing prisoners. If someone acted out, they got a bed, three meals, and more books to read. He changed the food after he tried it, and he said, this is hogwash. Like, you cannot serve people this. He provided them with books, magazines. He brought Carl in to talk to him. He was telling him the ideas. Carl said he was an idealist and he didn't trust him. But then he started realizing he really meant what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Did not stop Carl from trying to escape. So a guard came to ask Murphy, what punishment should Carl get for trying to saw his bars again? Murphy was like, well, how many times has he already done this? How many times has he been punished for? And he's like, oh, eight. He's like, well, obviously <laughs> punishment's not working. 
So he brought Carl in and he said, I'm going to make you a deal. I'm going to open the gates. I'm going to let you out. You can do whatever you want. Just be back before headcount at supper. And Carl's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I 100% for sure will do that. Absolutely. (laughs) So he opened the gates. Carl said that in his head, he was like, I'm never going back there. This is my free ticket. But he walked around. He looked at things. He sat down. And then he went back to jail. He walked to the gates and said, let me back in. And Murphy was like, why didn't you try to escape? And he's like, I don't really know. So for about eight months, he did this. Murphy provided him with books because, like you said, he's extremely intelligent. They talked all the time. He was the most caught, like the most constant figure he had ever had in his life. One night, he got too drunk with a girl. He said he realized, like, this is fun. Like, why don't I want to do this every night? And he hears a train. He's like, this is it. I'm gone. Only to be brought back. They noticed he wasn't coming back. The alert was out. He got into a fight with a deputy. He tried shooting the sheriff like it was a whole thing. So when he comes back, things changed between him and Murphy. And honestly, I feel like a lot of it was Carl was embarrassed by what he had done because he respected Murphy. He says it throughout his entire journal. He respected the hell out of him. And he was the only person in Carl's entire life that kept his word with him. Yeah. So he had to go to trial for everything he had done when he was out. Murphy wrote a letter saying, He will try to escape. He will try funny business. He needs to stay in chains while he's gone. So he goes. He's not, you know, he doesn't have the opportunity to escape. He gets back to the prison. And it's not long after that, he and four other inmates start planning to escape. Sorry, I lost my thing. Like, uh. According to Carl, there was a snitch in the group. And they guards found out what they were doing. So the other ones changed the plans. And then guards found out about those plans. So Carl was like, go back to the OG plans. He got out through the basement. He put on the white outfit that the cooks wore, walked right out through there. And he said he never looked back. He never did his full seven years. That was it. He said he wasn't going to. He immediately headed west. And even though he had raped hundreds of men at this point, he had not murdered anyone. He had tried. He hadn't murdered anyone. He joined the army under the name John O'Leary. He's like, I'm going to give this another shot. But when he got, so the army ships him to Baltimore and he gets there and he's like, wait a second, this really isn't for me. So he bailed. He got to the, he got to New York City. He joined the Marine Firearms Oilers, Fireman's Oilers, and he traveled back and forth to Panama. He traveled around on small schooners. He made it all the way to Europe. He robbed, assaulted, and raped this entire time. He left for mayhem. I think that's the only thing he ever wanted to do. And it's like, I can't have a normal, I can't be normal. So I'm going to make sure nobody else is normal as well. Yeah. When he made it back to New York City, he robbed the home of someone he felt had wronged him. He made off with 40 grand in jewelry, $3,000, a Colt 45, and Liberty Bonds addressed to W.H. Taft. He robbed the goddamn former president. Uh, that Colt 45 would later be used to commit many, many murders, which is insane, right? Like you stole from the president and then you're just like, I'm going to kill people with this. Sick. <laughs> this is so with his, on new, Taft. with his newfound riches, he bought a yacht. He decides with this yacht, I'm going to hire men to work with me. I'll say I'll go to the sailors and say, do you need work? I'm going to take them out. I'll get them drunk. 
I'm going to rape them, and then I'm going to kill them. And he did. He repeated this process over three weeks with 10 different men. Once he murdered them with Taft's gun, he would take them out about a mile into the channel in his rowboat, tie a block to them, and throw them overboard. He realized that people were starting to look at him a little weird because it's been three weeks and he's went through like 10 deckhands, but the deckhands are not found anymore. So he hired two more men and he let them keep working. He planned on killing them after they robbed another yacht. And he said he knew that they knew that he was going to. And in a weird, once I'm sure they realized who he really was, they thanked God every day because the yacht that they were on wrecked and the two men were able to escape. He was cared for by a Dr. Charles McGiven for about a week. And as a token of his thanks, he gave him a few pieces of jewelry from Taft and his gun. He got arrested immediately after this. In Connecticut for burglary, he did six months and then he headed back into the world. And that's where Meg is going to take over. Ah, yes, Carl. And this is um, coming up on the end here, but I will. I know I said those other parts were graphic, but the end of this is incredibly graphic. So let's do it. In 1921, Carl returned to New Haven, Connecticut, just casing mansions, deciding which one to rob. And he made a poor choice because the one he picked still had a family inside. They were scared of Carl, but the staff was like, "Mm -mm, not today. And they called the police and he was arrested. He was charged with possession of an unlicensed firearm in burglary. He should have been put away for a really long time. You know, all like all this stuff adding up every time he goes to jail, he needs to stay there. Like escapes aside. Uh, but he keeps getting fake names. So they sentenced him to six months. And he kind of loved prison, I think. I really do think he liked prison. I think that the chaos that he had in the world prison was obviously... It was like his safe space. Like yeah. He could be punished in the real world, but he could go into these prisons and just like rape and torture. And it was mm-hmm. just like, high five, that's what we want you to do. Is make it worse for everyone. Um but when he got out six months later, he was ready for another new job. He needed some money. So he joined the Flying Squadron of the Seamen's Union, which was just a union. <laughs> but unions were new at this time. Uh, and they desperately needed men because they were running into early American union issues like scabs and strike breakers. And scabs and strike breakers, they're the people, they keep working even when everyone else is trying to strike. And the company also hires them to, like, beat up the union, essentially, or to, like, cause them trouble. Uh, But Carl was just the kind of guy they needed. Mm -hmm. He was good at fighting and not backing down. And initially, it was just breaking bones and throwing people into the harbor, but both sides started carrying guns, and it was inevitable that a gunfight would break out. But when cops showed up to break it up, they sided with the company. The strikers backed down, but not Carl. He kept shooting at everyone. He shot at the cops. He was arrested, or everyone was arrested and made bail. The union paid for all of them to get out of jail. But Carl made himself a central figure in all of this. So, like, imagine the investigator's surprise when they're like, this guy's got a rap sheet a mile long. And they mm-hmm. only knew a little tiny chunk of what he had done in his life. So they're already starting the man the manhunt to find him. 
but he disappeared. They, he made bail and he disappeared. And despite checking all of the aliases he had used over the years, there was no sign of him. And there was no sign of Carl because he was already stowed away on a ship going to Africa. It, it amazes me how far he got, like all the time. He went so many places. Determined. Um, yes, determined. This guy made me laugh because Carl stowed away for only a couple of days and he got bored and revealed himself. <laughs> it's like, this, is, this isn't chaotic enough. And the captain was pissed, but Carl earned the crew's respect and he did the work of two men for nothing, only just to get him to Africa. And when they got there, the captain begged him to stay on, on as part of the crew. He was like, no, you're great. Stay. But he said being on a crew reminded him of being in prison. So he declined. Uh, he got to Africa and he could live on only pennies a day compared to in America. He sought out work with the Sinclair Oil Company. They were an American oil company in Africa. Uh, America was increasing their oil demands and we haven't stopped. Uh, and while keeping staff was easy in the U.S., they could not keep their staff full. And working on these African oil fields was lethal. It was so dangerous that these, you know, the, these racist white oil men would not let white men work them. They were essentially slave drivers for the locals, and they were making them work the fields. Um, and then the white men were like the supervisors, which is bullshit, but time, you know. Mm-hmm. Carl didn't know anything about oil, but he was cruel and he enjoyed torture and it made him really good at his job. His rig surpassed production goals and he was able to start making some real money at a real job. It was almost like he was going to be able to start over and be normal in Africa, as normal as like tortured man could be. Yeah, as normal as Carl Panzer. <laughs> yeah. He got paid. His masochism was satisfied from driving the oil laborers but in order for him to feel truly normal he felt that he was supposed to have a woman in his life so carl went to a local family and purchased their eight-year-old daughter for six dollars carl said he only wanted her if she was a virgin and the girl's father assured him that she was so he took her back to his work provided cabin and what Ever horrific things he did to her were echoed in her screams heard throughout the camp that night. The next morning, he took the girl back to her family and traded her in for the six-year-old, claiming that the girl had not been a virgin. Someone he worked with reported him, but unless he was raping and murdering a white person, those bosses did not care. The next night, he looked at the six-year-old and realized that he was not aroused by women. He got her dressed and gave her back to the family unharmed. But his interest turned to a 16-year-old male waiter that worked in the white Mets hall at the camp. The boy found himself drinking whiskey late into the nights with Carl after everyone had gone home. And eventually, Carl suggested sodomy. He was, like, trying to make this a consensual thing. But the boy was like, no, I'm good. So he took it. He took the boy. Uh, and this place... It's different values, different morals in Africa than there is in America. So there was no shame instilled in this boy about what had just happened. There was no shame about homosexuality because it wasn't really talked about. He knew it wasn't his fault. And so he reported Carl, something a lot of people wouldn't have done and didn't do because they were embarrassed and ashamed. Yeah, because in happened. America at the time, 
it was a sin or not a sin. It was a it, it was uh, a, like it was considered it was a, sin, a sin, but it was uh it was against the law. Like you yeah. could be put in prison for being a homosexual male. Sodomy could you could go to prison for it. Yeah. Um, and so his higher up confronted Carl, and Carl beat him until he was in a coma, and he ran away. He hid out and drank away the rest of his money. But when it ran low, he went to the American consulate and requested a bunk on the next ship to America. And they were like, no, we have heard about you. Absolutely not. They straight up told him, like, you are a monster. And if there is any justice in this world, the only thing waiting for you in America is a noose. So Carl hit again. He was camping in the high grass near the oil field. He planned to rob and rape. But the men at the camp knew he was out there. So they traveled in groups. They didn't go out after dark. And Carl was being overcome with his fury at his inability to do anything that he liked. You know, raping, stealing, burning things. A 12-year-old boy came across him while he was looking for the oil field. And Carl led him to an unused quarry where he brutally raped him and crushed the boy's skull in by smashing his head into the rocks. Carl was no longer willing to try to live a normal life in Africa. The murderer of the little boy was also the catalyst um, that incited Carl to light one of the oil rigs on fire. It took the entire camp hours to fight the fire down, and once it was out, it was because there was nothing left to burn. Carl left with the little money that he had and went to another nearby village. He stayed there for a few weeks because it was even cheaper than where he had been before. Um... He hired a group of men to float him down the river to hunt crocodiles, which was something that tourists were coming to this village to do. They would hire the men, they would go down, and they would hunt these, like, Goliath crocodiles. Uh, the first night that they made camp, everyone slept while one man kept watch in ships. And Carl lured every single one of his tour guides away under the guise of having to urinate and needing someone to accompany him. And when they would reach the trees, he would rape and murder each one five men one after the other until the sixth man he went back and murdered him in the camp and then he threw their bodies to the giant crocodiles that were in the river he went back to the village and told everyone that they had been dragged away and eaten by the crocs and no one believed him but if they took revenge and people found out that they had killed a white man their village would have been raised they would have burned it down and not cared over one monster so Carl slunk into the sunset once again. He was living in the wild until he made his the wild until he made his way back to a port. All of the ships heading to America had already been warned about him, so he had no luck stowing away. He was caught and thrown overboard by several different ships. So switched gears. He was like, "Well, just go to Portugal then." He stowed away again and revealed himself. Hey! And it worked. It worked again. He was like, I'll work for my travel. It's no problem. But Portugal is small. So within a week of his arrival, he was ready to leave. There was nowhere to run. The police were already watching him. They knew he was robbing everyone. He went to the American consulate again. And they were like, no, we already told you no. Get out of here. His crimes preceded him. <laughs> so he stowed away, this time on a British naval ship. He wasn't even able to reveal himself this time because they found him and threw him in the brig immediately. He was chained to the wall of the boat until they reached England and then sentenced to a year in prison in Glasgow. But he escaped. And this time he created another identity. 
and left England aboard a boat. He told them how much sailing experience he had. He agreed to be paid nothing, just his passage, and he would just work his way off. It's kind of called a different name, right? So they're like, oh, all right, awesome. Oh, yeah, it's not you. Yeah, and that's all in one year. He did that all in one year. I love my Blendjet 2 Portable. I make breakfast smoothies in the morning with just some almond milk, frozen fruit, yogurt, and I can walk out the door with breakfast in hand in less than a minute. It's so easy to clean up, and you get to see the cool little water tornado it makes when you rinse out whatever you just blended. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, you can do a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up your entire house. It lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges so quickly via USB-C. And best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. You just blend water with a drop of soap and you are good to go. If they have it in a certain color, will you get it? Well, you're in luck because Blendjet has more than 30 colors and patterns to choose from. You should definitely check out the Disney prints. They are very cute. I need a Buzz Lightyear one. What are you waiting for? Go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to Blendjet.com and use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. He arrived back in America in New York in 1922 and... He realized that his, like, thirst for blood could maybe be profitable. This was at a time when, you know, the mob was really starting to rule the streets of, um, like, the major cities. It was prohibition, so there was booze. And he decided to try a career as a hitman and was unsuccessful. (laughs) He had his gun outfitted with a silencer, but they didn't really silence (laughs) anything. At that time, it wasn't like an act, like the silence. It was like instead of a boom, it was like a boom, poof. Yeah. So he moved on again. This time he went back to Salem. As soon as he arrived in town, Carl tricked a little boy named George. George was only 11. He asked him to come to the edge of town with him. Carl promised him 50 cents uh, to help him run an errand. And here he repeated what he had done to the 12-year-old boy in Africa. He sodomized him until he was done, and afterward he smashed his head with a rock. He left town, and a completely different local pedophile was hung for that crime three weeks later, even though people saw that boy with Carl. He was already back in New York. This time he got a job as a night watchman, and he got an apartment for the very first time. The job was boring, but every night one of the teenage boys that worked at the mill would come and share a cigarette or some moonshine with Carl. His name was George also. And while Carl appreciated this like little piece of normalcy he had found, he desperately wanted this teenage boy. He lured him into the factory and he was going to rape him, except George was eager and consenting. And it was one of the first times that Carl had consensual sex with a man. Um, 
And it continued. They met up every single night. They would have sex for an hour or so. Carl would go back to his job. When spring came around, Carl just quit his job and abandoned his apartment. The idea that he could have lived a normal life was too much. He had already accepted that he was a monster. He couldn't be normal. He told George that he was leaving, but that he would come back for him. And America was changing rapidly at this time. It was not like the Wild West anymore, like Carl was used to. Uh, It was... (laughs) <laughs> the police stations were becoming better because the criminals were becoming better. Carl looked to the ocean again. He stole a ship that he could man all by himself, and he sailed into the sea. He had planned to retrieve George soon so that they could live at sea together, but he needed money, which means he needed to rob some people again. He rode ports at night. He would rob all of the yachts of their goods, and he made enough doing this that he had the money he needed to get by. He went and got George. And they set sail north of the Hudson River. But George did not take to the sea. He got super sick. And Carl was like, I'm going to sell the boat. I'm going to find a way for us to settle down on land. But while he was trying to sell it, a man pulled a gun on Carl and George. And he was going to steal this already stolen boat from them. Pick the wrong guy to try and rob. Yeah. Because Carl, like, can you imagine being like, (laughs) give me your boat and him being like, cracking his neck like mother yeah Carl put a bullet he put a bullet in his head before he could even make another request and george was like what the who are you um and he was like come on georgie we got to dispose of the body (laughs) georgie's like (laughs) (laughs) he was shocked but he went to the boat with back to the boat with carl and after they disposed of the body but when George woke up the next day. Carl was gone. He was stealing fishing nets. Uh, and George jumped out of the boat and let the current drag him downstream until he could be pulled from the river. And he went straight to the police. Because he had told Carl, he was like, we need to go to the police. So he was like, nope, please don't help. <sighs> Carl came back to the boat and realized that he was gone and just fell into despair. Thank you. I think he loved him. Yeah, I do. I think this was the only person that Carl really had feelings for. He searched for him for a while, but he went back to his boat to sleep away his sadness. And the police had already contacted all of the surrounding counties and departments. So when Carl woke up, he had docked in a random port a little further north and he was arrested. Carl didn't usually get lawyers. He always like represented himself. But this this time he called a fancy lawyer, like fancy boots lawyer. And he told them, he was like, look, I can't get to my money because it's in California, but if you can bail me out and represent me, you can have my yacht. And the lawyer did it. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. He's like, he said he had been looking for a yacht anyways. And this was, <laughs> even if um, even if it didn't work out, $5,000, because it was he needed $10,000 to, he needed $10,000 to get this guy to represent him. But he offered him the boat and it was only worth $5,000. But he would get him the five, other $5,000. This was like the lie he spun. Carl had said his name was John O'Leary. And the lawyer went and got the boat after he bailed him out. But then he went to go register it. And the stolen boat was revealed. And the guy was already gone. He had stolen another boat. But it was dis- in disrepair and he crashed it into some rocks. And Because the, the rudder got stuck. In order to make quick cash, he turned to robbery again. He broke into a train station, but an officer was already making early morning rounds, and he came across Carl in the act. 
They brawled, but he was arrested again. While he was there, Carl told them that he was an escaped convict from Oregon. And the police were like, we think you're full of shit, but we're going to find out. And he was telling the truth. Carl Panzram and all of his aliases had been caught again. And I think we covered that if Carl was free, he was he was doing a murder or like robbing people. Mm-hmm. He was doing crimes. But during this sentence he got, the DA got him five years in Sing Sing. And he got kicked out because he was raping an inmate. A guard pulled him off, so he tried to rape the guard, and it took four people to pull him off. Can you imagine getting kicked out of prison? <laughs> no, I can't. Like, you got to go to a worse prison. And they transferred him to Danamora, which at the time was actually an asylum and a prison. He was in the prison side. But the reason it was both is because this prison was so bad when the inmates finally had their brains broken. They just transferred him over to the asylum. Danamore was intense. As soon as he got there, they stripped him down. They took all of his stuff and just beat the shit out of him. When he got to the warden's office, because he was so dazed, he gave them his real name, Carl Panzram. He immediately tried to burn the place down with a homemade bomb, but the guards found it and dismantled it. After that, week two, he hit one of the guards with a 10-pound club, which didn't kill him, but almost. His third week there... He made a 30-foot ladder out of just random stuff, and this dude literally ripped his cell door off of its hinges, got his little ladder, climbed the 30-foot wall that separated him from freedom, got all the way to the top when his ladder snapped and he fell. He broke both of his legs and ankles and ruptured his groin. He said it was the worst pain he had ever felt, considering all the pain this dude has had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he laid there screaming all night. He had never felt pain like this. Karma, Carl. Uh, And they found him the next morning. They just threw him in solitary for 14 months. And his bones healed, but didn't. They just healed all weird and wonky. He didn't see a doctor until he left solitary. And the doctor was so used to seeing prison injuries, but even the state that Carl was in shocked him. His ruptured groin hadn't been fixed so the doctor scheduled his surgery and he did fix it but the guards requested that the doctor remove one of his testicles because it might make him less aggressive you know like a dog i just thought that (laughs) (laughs) to make sure neuter him yeah and uh, he was so mad when he woke up he was so mad as soon as he woke up in the hospital to make sure that Carl could do still do his favorite pastime, he ate some food, regained his strength, and crawled into the bed of another patient and raped him in the hospital wing. So they threw him back in solitary for the rest of his five-year sentence and then just dropped him right back into the world in 1928. He headed to Philadelphia, where he immediately raped and strangled another little boy, and then Baltimore, where he murdered a teenager and stole his money. From there... He went to Washington, D.C. and committed a string of robberies. His legs were all jacked up, and he had none of the muscle that he used to. So he was getting clumsier, and he was eventually arrested when he was climbing out of a dentist's window in D.C. And then got sent to prison in D.C. He began to chip away at the bars around the windows like he had done before, and another prisoner reported him. And they thought, or he thought, he was going to go to solitary again, but it was so much worse. He was attached to a whipping pole 
and the guard ensured that Carl was on his tiptoes in handcuffs. He, like, handcuffed his hands and then strung him over it so that all of his weight was on his tiptoes. And all of the pain from his broken legs came rushing back. And the guards laughed at him. He got so angry that he began to detail how he was going to abduct and rape and strangle their children, just like he had done to other children before. And that jump-started a much larger investigation into Carl Panzeram. They started sending out exploratory letters, and they found out all of his aliases. Witnesses came down from Salem, Salem to confirm that this was the man that they had seen with little George. A man confirmed that this was the man that also murdered the boy in Baltimore. He was sentenced to life in prison and sent back to Leavenworth Prison in Kansas, specifically because it was central to all of the states that had ongoing litigation against him because there were so many. But honestly, Carl was too tired to victimize anyone. He, yeah, he had, at that point, he was done. Yeah. He told anyone, when he, he got to Leavenworth and he was like, the first man that messes with me, I will kill. So they put him on laundry duty and they left him alone. Every hour, the laundry foreman would check on him. But one day, it was cold, and the foreman came back twice in an hour, and Carl was mad because he felt he was interrupting his privacy. So he ripped a copper pipe out of the wall and beat the foreman to death with it, and he went straight to death row. It was here on death row that a guard named Henry became acquainted with Carl, and Henry convinced him to write all of his thoughts onto paper. And this was where Carl wrote his 20,000-word confession detailing all of his crimes and the life he had led. His trial for the murder of the laundry foreman was on April 29, 1929. He pled not guilty, but was found gu guilty due to several witnesses and the fact that Carl had declined representation again. He was representing himself. He was still on death row. He ignored all mail, except for mail that came from people who wanted to abolish the death penalty. He sent them letters threatening threatening them, telling them how he would brutally murder them if they robbed him of his death sentence. He also wrote a letter to Herbert Hoover asking them to expedite his sentence. And on September 5th, 1930, Carl was walked to the gallows. He told the executioner to hurry up, and his last words were a slew of insults and threats that went on for so long that the executioner pulled the lever and Carl Panzram dropped to his death mid-sentence. He was buried in a pauper's grave with only his prisoner's number to mark him. He, his last words were, hurry up, you Hoosier bastard. I could kill 10 men while you're fooling around. Yeah. Uh, I, that was a lot. Yeah, and I... This is going to be our longest episode ever. Yeah. I want to kind of, like, I'm going to read a couple of these things that he talks about, like, that has happened to him in prison. Just because, like, his, like, it's the torture. He Obviously, he was a monster. He, there's no debating that. No. I think he probably would have been not a great person had he not had all these things happen to him, I do not think he would have been the level that he was. He had no humanity. Like yeah, He had nothing less. No. He was right in that they had stripped him of it. So you talked about the his straight jacket, which was, um, 
a heavy canvas that was four foot long by two and a half foot wide. And they would pull it so tight, like you said, it would knock you out. The snorting pole, which was a very formal, a very common form of punishment. Yeah, it was I called a lo- it the whipping pole because I was like, I don't know if people know what snorting is. <laughs> a large post about 12 foot long by one foot in diameter stuck into the ground. Near the top is a pair of handcuffs to which the uh, handcuff, like the rope is made fast. When a man is whipped at the snorting pole, he is whipped with the red heifer. It's a black snake whip about eight foot long. And that's, they pull him up to the, like on their toes. A dose of salt, which is what happened to him early on. Yeah. Um. So the one that was like the worst to me is called the hummingbird. This is not a bird. And yet this is a bird. This isn't any kind of bird that has feathers and flies through the air. This bird is a bird that was conceived in the mind of another bird. He goes on about that. Um, it's a bird that was made of steel, water, wire, and a sponge and a little electricity. Yes, it was alive. First, an ordinary steel bathtub in which four or five inches of ice cold water was the victim is laid down in that and chained hand and foot. The chief torturer inserts the scene. He is dressed in his ordinary clothes and only has a rubber slicker and a pair of rubber gloves on his hands. This in his hands is a sponge. The sponge is connected to an electric battery by wires. The switch is turned on and the torturer advances advances on his victim. He first begins on the soles of his feet by gently rubbing the charged sponge there, then gradually working his way up the body to the head. The sensations the victim are seem to be millions of Millions of red hot needles sticking into him. The agony is intense. Two or three minutes and the victim is ready for grave. Yet there is not a single mark or bruise on his entire body. And a physician would stand beside them and every few seconds would feel for a pulse. And then they would keep going. You are giving oh. this psychotic man electroshock therapy. <laughs> Except not because it's yeah. not like it's just no like, to your head. It's, you know, it's. The torture he was yeah, like subjected torture. to. And it's, I know, like, even still in 2021, we need crazy prison reform, but I am thankful that this is not the prison. Like, think of how many other people, how many other Carl Pants Rams we'd have running around here. Think of how many we do, you know? And yeah. we had the prison system now to keep them, or at least, obviously, the judicial system is flawed, but I am thankful that it's able to get some of these people you know yeah i this is definitely you take a young boy who needed nurturing more than anything there is no doubt in my mind that there are people who are born with i call them broken brains where the right and wrong just isn't there yeah it's like antisocial personalities you know but they have some people are just like that and there are even with like with the correct amount of love and attention and like Therapy. I know that wasn't like a big thing back then, obviously, but a little love with him would have went a long way. Like even just because I do amount. He was capable of love. He was capable of respect because he had um, the guard on. You know who he? What was his? I'm sorry, I just went blank on his name. The last one. Yeah, Henry. Henry. For some reason, I was thinking Harry. He has Henry. He has Murphy. He had like his essentially his boyfriend and he showed respect to them. I think he felt betrayed, you know, like he 
he feels all of these feelings so strongly. Yeah, he strongly. obviously had inner conflict with all of those people too. Like he was he, confused why these people I were nice to him. He was he hated himself, and that's very evident through his entire like these entire journals. He yeah. hated himself, and I think he was gay, and I think he hated himself even more for that. Yeah, because he was born into this incredibly religious. Space where you know, I mean, and even if it wasn't religious, it was still shamed. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was illegal. And then you go into these schools where they forcibly do it to you at every turn. Yeah, and then it's like he was gang raped on the train, and it's like, okay, well then normal people do it. And then when the um, like when the when he was sent to the chain gang and the little boy was taken from him and they were doing it there too. He's like, okay, They're so like, not oh, yeah, even these is... affluent people, like these Christian men with power and families, they're also doing it. So this is what you do. This is how you exert your power. This is how you get what you want. You rape and you take. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there was, um, that was, a <laughs> that was a rough one for me. Like I texted Connie this week and I was just like, I keep having, like, I keep thinking back to parts of it. I was having, like, intrusive thoughts of, like, picturing what ha- was happening. And I was like, ah, no, stop. And especially about, like, the little kids and stuff really messed with me this week. I, it's hard for me because I, I don't want to feel sorry for him. No. But yeah, but you do. I, I do. And, like, then I feel guilty because I do. Yeah. But. He is a product of his environment. He is a product of the torture he endured. He is a product of, you know, his family, his dad, his, the schools he was sent to. Yeah. And I know like you, well, we both, you could feel sorry for the kid, but like at a certain point, but this guy didn't stop getting tortured. No, he did For his entire life, constantly. And, and it's like, yes, he obviously started bringing that on himself. Like, who taught him not to do that? He, he, this is such, this is a such, like, such a tough case. Because I read that even this brain, like, you know, like, infections of the brain, it can cause, like, schizophrenia. I don't think that he was schizophrenic. I think he was very of sane mind. I think he just had such a warped view of the world because of what he was given. And he is someone that to like to this day like there are entire psychology classes that are just about him because it is so insane like he learned from such a young age that people don't matter like people are disposable this you take what you want because no one's going to give it to you and if you do this then if you that's how you get what you want you you take it through life you, the bigger, meaner person gets what they want. And uh, it's just sad because, I mean, it's not wrong. And it's that sad. That is true. Yeah. And like when he was sent to the reform school, when he was brutally raped by the father warden person there, he was sent there for drinking. Like, yeah, he was sent there for drinking. And, like, and I think he would have been a priest. Like, I literally think he could have done that. Like, yes, I know he didn't really buy into it, but I think being there could have been a better experience for him. And that one priest was just yeah. like, nope, and I'm going to beat you. I think he was smart enough to evade. I mean, look how many, like, 
when he wanted to not be caught, he wasn't caught. But I think like after a certain time, he spent half of his life, more than half of his life in prison. Just, just like, I'm back. I'm back, everyone. So I think like he went back there and it was like his safe spot. Like, yeah, I think it was too. I think that was the only place he knew. Like he always had a bed. He had food, even if it wasn't healthy, you know, mm-hmm. he had power, power, yeah, respect. Like the other inmates, were sp- and he had fear. Like they feared him. They were afraid of him. Yeah, and brutal. It's it's a rough one. I'll be honest. I usually spend a lot of time editing our episodes. I will not be doing that with this one because I cannot listen to it again. Yeah. So just giving you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, finger guns on that one. Please let us know what you guys think of the just where your brains are, what your thoughts are. It's hard as a parent to hear all these horrible things. It's insane to me that, like, guys, he was 40. He did this for 40 years. And in the grand scheme of things, like, he was not very old. He was not very old. Oh, are you kidding me? We're going to be 40 in, like, (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's so sad it's like incredibly sad and i wish someone could be his voice as a child like he needed someone to protect him he needed someone to stand up for him and honestly it's kind of like scary to think about how like i'm a mom of three and i try so hard to give my kids equal attention my middle son can never have enough attention and he is the type of kid that like if he starts If he's like, okay, mom's not giving me enough right now. I'm going to do anything I can to get her attention. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to do it. That's how my oldest is too. And it's like, they know they're loved, but think about, he never knew that he was. Yeah. He never knew that he was. uh, You know, he was a laborer. He was there to work their farm and stay out of their way. and And it's always the ones that are really really smart as children and he was he's very well written i mean he's very well for like blunt, the direct, too. yeah very blunt direct and to the point he you know he taught himself how to read like he was very blunt direct to the point but like that's why i read so much of like it was hard to read and i was like ill to my stomach like even doing it but it is so fascinating that's the closest i've ever like, it's the closest I've ever been to someone's brain like that. Yeah. That you know is not that, just like, full of shit and doing it for the clout. Like, he is yeah. what that is. that's what they important. thought he was doing, too. Like, mm-hmm. they were like, that's no they started, way you did these they things. They started pulling up all of these events. Like, when he talked about, like, such and such getting fired or, like, Houston being on fire, they pulled it up and they were like, oh, my God. Because that's what Henry did at first. He was mm-hmm. like, ah. And then he started looking and he was like, oh, my God. It's all real. This is real. This is real. Oh, it's tough. It's just crazy that you get. He wasn't busted for any of those other ones. It was just like one guy he murdered that worked at the prison when he was 40. Like that was how he got put on. I think he was just ready to be done. He had no fight left in him when they uh, asked him if he had anything to say. And like he had already like denied. Um he had already denied counsel. He's like, wasn't well, that an attorney's job? And there isn't one here. So I don't have anything to say. Yeah. He was done. I think he was, he He's hated like, get, himself. 
Yeah, get me out of and get he me would off tell, this planet. People tried. People were like, the death penalty is wrong. Let us save you. And he was like, I will fucking kill you if you try to stop this. If you take this from me, yeah, I will kill you and your family. I mean, that's one way to get out of it. And usually I'm like, oh, let him stay on death row for a little while. Let him suffer. But I'm like, dude, get this Put guy that. out of here because he's going to sucker out of his misery. <laughs> yeah. And ours. Yeah. I just think it's like not hilarious, but he maintained like he stayed that like abrasive shithead all the way up when he was like, I could kill 10 men while you're fucking around. I wonder if he regularly called people a Hoosier as an insult. <laughs> I know. I thought that. I was like, I think this is bad. Like, because I'm like, like yeah, twice, in, twice in one book. I mean, uh, we've redefined it. Yes. In Indiana. The two of us have. Just us. <laughs> no one else. <laughs> we hoped you enjoyed that re-listening. <laughs> Pretty much, uh, the yeah. Patreon episode. <laughs> if you're a patron and you're like, damn it, these bitches keep doing this. <clears throat> Sorry. We do. Actually, <laughs> I think we've only done this a couple. We've only done it a couple of times. Usually it gets me thinking about re-releasing an episode like that when we have a lot of people request it. And I know this is an episode that's like been covered by a lot of podcasts, but this is... He's one of the gnarliest, like, most horrific people I think we've ever covered. Yeah, we talked a lot about, at the. I remember when we did that one, we talked a lot about the nature versus nurture thing and how had he had, like, a proper, a proper mm-hmm. start, he could have been, you know, an incredibly intelligent human being that was not a nightmare human, but alas, mm. it's not the world we live in. No, unfortunately not. But I'm going to, I leave for Florida in eight hours. <laughs> true last minute fashion my packed. so i am packed yes i have the kids packed i have the snack tote packed which i'm sure i over you know like you you my kids will eat like hardly anything throughout the day and then i think in this 11 hour trip they're gonna eat 50 pounds worth of food a piece so you pack like <laughs> all of these things and then you get to where you're going and i'm like what the fuck am i supposed to do with all of this just Save keep it, it on hand. Little Save treats. Tr- You're going to be at the beach. Yeah. You'll yeah. go home. You'll need snacks. You can never have too I'll... many snacks. No, never. And I plan on drinking like a lot at night. So, <laughs> and I plan on drinking a lot. <laughs> Not like a ton because we're taking someone else's kid with us this time. But like, but this spring is break. break. Spring break. James Franco, spring break. He can't. He's canceled. We don't like him anymore, do we? Yeah, no. I think he talks to teenager teenage girls. Oh yeah, that's such a shame. Such a bummer. Such a bummer. Please His stop brother- talking to teenage girls, adult men. <laughs> What's your problem? Just crushing my dreams. But he's got that brother though. Yeah, Dave Franco is uh, the better Franco. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's married to Allison Brie from Community. She's and I love Community. So cute. That's so funny. Did you ever watch Community? I have watched a few episodes. My husband got really into it, but I was never, I've never like watched all of it. He has, but I haven't. Oh, it's so good. I love Troy and Abed in the morning. It's funny. Oh, and she, I, but yeah, Alison Brie, she was in Glow too. And Glow is so that's good. Favorite, so sad. I love Glow. I was like, the first time I saw Glow, I was like, this is one of my new favorite shows. I'm obsessed. And I do occasionally rewatch it when I get bored. 
I just started rewatching last night, Married with Children. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just talking about Married with Children recently because I was talking with my husband and I was like, Married with Children is one of those shows where it's funny on TV. But if any of that stuff happened in real life, it would no longer be funny. No. No, absolutely not. And he, because he has like made Al Bundy like jokes and I know he's joking, but I was like, those... I mean, some jokes are funny, and that's not funny. Because <laughs> it's not the same world we live in anymore. No. <laughs> no. It's the same reason why they said, like, they could never, like, the office couldn't exist now. Because some, like, no, it couldn't. Like, there's nothing about that that would fly in 2023. I feel like I've seen every episode of The Office, even though I've never watched a full episode of The Office, because I constantly see clips on like Instagram and Facebook and just wherever I constantly just get the the tidbits and the bloopers and everything. I'm like, I know what happens in this entire show. It's fine. I love The Office and Parks and Rec and Fred. Pretty much everything basic. Like I'll take it. See, I finished new shows. I finished Shadow and Bone. It was great. I loved it. I bought all three books so that I can read them. Or the first three books. I think it's like several series now. Someone can correct me on it. And then I tried to start The Irregulars, and I didn't like it. It was boring. I fell asleep. I want to watch Daisy Jones and the Six. I'm going to, that's on my list of ones to watch. You know, I started that book, and I got about halfway through it, and I gave up. I was, I thought I was going to love it, and I just did, I could not get into it. You know, the book, I read Verity, and- Mm -hmm. I was so sucked in for the entire book. And then the ending was so quick. I went to Sam's Club last night to snack up on snacks. And they had a ton <laughs> of Colleen Hoover books. And I was like, I don't know if I can be hurt like that again. <laughs> I know everyone's reading um, It Starts With Us and It Ends With Us because there's two now, right? Yeah, I think It Ends With Us is first. And then It Starts With Us is second, which is weird to me. I don't is know. It? But I don't I, I literally sat and read cover to cover Verity in one day. And I was like, okay, this is a good book. And the last little bit was so quick. I was like, I feel like (laughs) something taken from me. Yeah. And I was like, is this how all of our books are? Because I can't. Like, I can't. This is how it's going to (laughs) be. I can't get this invested. I am not crazy about Colleen Hoover. I think she's fine. Like, if you like reading her, that's awesome. Read her. I'm just, just not my like book cup of tea. I did recently listen to The House in the Cerulean Sea and it was such a cozy book. It was like very feel good, very cozy with like magic and fantasy still, but set in like real world. It was really cool. I liked it. You know, that reminds me of like listening. I may download an audio book to listen to tomorrow on the drive. Do you have, an, do you have a library app? I think so. I do. Do you have a library card? Yeah. Yeah, if can you, you do, get audio you books? be able to connect it. Yeah, yeah, you just check them out on your phone and you can just listen to them. That's the only way I get my audiobooks pretty much. It's free. I just yeah. well, I have Kindle Unlimited, but there's not always good books on there. Yeah, sometimes it's hit and miss with Kindle Unlimited. Um, there's a big one called Libby that's got a bunch of libraries connected to it. My library is connected to Hoopla, so I get my audiobooks off of there, but did a lot of times the ones I want to listen to aren't on there either. It's got some good stuff like that. I can't remember what his name was that read that book. That House in the Cerulean Sea book was on there. And then I started listening to another one of his. Uh, and I can't remember the title of it either, but it's about a crooked house and what happens after death. And it was 
it's been interesting. I like the other one better. But Well, if you have made it this far into our extremely long episode, drop your <laughs> beach reads, audiobooks. Sometimes I, like, I can't listen to the spicy audiobooks because I'm like, woof. woof. <laughs> Someone's going to hear me. Someone's going to hear like my thoughts while I'm reading this. <laughs> that's how I... Uh, that's how I read Fifty Shades of Grey. It's the first time I just listened to it on like audiobook because like while I was doing stuff and I was like, Ooh, okay, okay, spicy. And then now I hear like that's not even spicy. Like they have a ton of uh, my sister in law. My sister in law is like, you don't even know. And I was like, I don't because all the books I, I read have involve murderers. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that's I have to read certain books because it's part of the job. Um, but I do have Neon Gods that I've saved for my after-school reading, and I've heard that it gets pretty spicy. Neon Gods. Maybe that's what I'll listen to tomorrow. Because, <laughs> like, my my husband will plug his, his phone into, like, the Apple CarPlay and listen to whatever. And I just put my AirPods in. Because, like, if I'm driving, I just put on a book and then I'll have to hear any of the kids. Well, or what if your Bluetooth glitches and then <laughs> the spicy part goes over the car <laughs> and your 12 year old is scarred for life. His friend goes home and tells yeah, his, his mom. friend has to go and tell his mom, mom, I can never look you in the eye, Connie in the eye again. Every time I oh, think about spicy things. books, I think of that scene from 10 Things I Hate About You, where she's like, I'll let you get back to Reginald's quivering member. And I was like 12 <laughs> when I first watched that. And I was like, I don't know what that means. But now I'm like, oh. no, I know exactly what that means. Oh, I watched that recently. 10 Things I Hate it's, About You. It's one of the best. Like, it, it's one of my favorite movies. It's a movies. classic. I used to name when I would like write stories when I was a kid, because I was always writing like some weird little book. Uh, I used to make that my character is always named Bianca because I loved the name Bianca from that movie. I was like, yes. That and, uh, oh my gosh, The Little Mice, the Disney movie. They're detectives. The Great Mouse Detective. Is that it? No. Yeah. I don't know, but one of the little... No, No, I know what you're talking about. It's the the Rescuers Down Under. Rescuers Down Under, yeah. And the little white mouse, her name's Bianca. And I just loved that name. I thought it was so cool. I used to want to name a cool girl name. Yeah, I wanted to name my daughter Bianca, and then I came across a real bitchy Bianca, and I was like, oh, "You met one in real life?" Yeah, I did. I've never in met South Carolina, life. and she was not very nice. And if you're oh, listening, isn't that I'm weird? Looking. How <laughs> if she listens, she's gonna be like, "I thought we were friends." No, <laughs> I still love the name, but I was just life too. look. A lot of people do. Like I'm not. <laughs> Don't meet like, your heroes, kids. Don't meet your heroes, because I'm going to be awkward and weird, and you're going to be like, dude, fuck that girl. <laughs> Definitely not a Bianca. Or maybe she's... I think it's fun. It was always... I loved the name Bianca. I loved the name Zoe. Like, all these were just names that I was like, these these are what cool girls are named, for sure. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two I can remember having and being affected by, but... I want, I loved Addison. I was like, oh, and then I watched Grey's Anatomy, and I'm like, yes, Addison, <laughs> even she is better. a strong, Kate Walsh, fierce woman. And then like, you could throw a stick, and everyone named their kid Addison. And I was like, all right, but yes, very cool girl names, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
I think we can call it. We're going to call yeah. it, guys. That's our We're chat call today. It. <laughs> uh, we'll see you guys next week. Patrons, be on the lookout because you're going to get a shit ton of episodes dropping right about now. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should, click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcast on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. <laughs>